0: This is episode number 83, How to Decode People with Vanessa Van Edwards. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day.
1: If you're like me and most people, introvert or extrovert never quite fit, you're probably an ambivert. So an ambivert is someone who is a situational extrovert or a situational introvert. And this is, I think, really fascinating research because I was never introvert or extrovert. I felt like in certain situations around certain people, I came alive. I was my best self. I was chatty and quote unquote outgoing but around toxic people, draining people, in certain situations, I completely shut down.
0: My name is Sonia Looney and I'm a professional athlete and entrepreneur. I'm also a writer and a speaker and I'm really thankful that you're here. Thank you so much for lending me your ears and for being a part of my community. The show has had some incredible guests, and I've definitely learned a lot from speaking to them, and I know that you guys are going to enjoy today's guests as well. We are really close to the Christmas holidays, and I hope that you're having fun with your family. In today's episode, you're going to learn a lot of things that will actually help navigate through the holidays, so make sure that you listen all the way through. If you're enjoying my podcast, The Sonia Looney Show, I would really appreciate it if you could Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It only takes a couple of seconds and it really does make a big difference. So if you want to find a way to support the show, all you have to do is open up the app, tap five stars, or type a little note that I read. And I I do read every single one of them. And just let us know that you're listening. And also, if you want to share the show with your friends, especially this episode... Take a screenshot and share it on social media. Tag myself and tag Vanessa Van Edwards. We would love to see your feedback and to see what you get out of the show. So let's get into today's guests. Vanessa Van Edwards is one of my heroines. She studies what makes people tick, more specifically, the science of people. Vanessa is a best selling author and a behavioral investigator. She creates compelling, super helpful, and instantly applicable advice on how to be successful in any social situation. Vanessa has been featured on NPR, The Wall Street Journal, The Today Show, and USA Today. She has written for CNN, Fast Company, Forbes, and is a regular contributor to Entrepreneur Magazine. She also speaks across the globe to Fortune 500 companies and has a really awesome YouTube channel. I first discovered Vanessa from her book, Captivate. I have the audiobook and I've listened to it twice and I've also read her book and I also own two copies of it because I pass it around to people because it brings so much value to every person who comes into contact with it. As a professional people watcher, Vanessa created a guidebook on how to make a great first impression, how to have dazzling conversations, how to be more likable, how to create a social game plan like where to stand at a party being able to read people and uncover hidden emotions, and how to get the best out of people and from yourself. And she also tells us how to speak so people will listen and so much more. Vanessa has pretty much everything dialed, everything you could possibly think of. And I know all of us want to be likable. We all want to feel comfortable in social situations. So definitely check out her website and her book. We barely scratched the surface of the massive value of and gold mine of information Vanessa provides. But today we went straight into the heart of it, how to crack someone's personality, which is also a chapter in her book captivate. You'll learn about the five ways to classify someone's personality, how to speed read a person's personality, how to interact in ways that will set you both up for success in your relationship. And this applies to anything from work colleagues to significant others. As someone who loves analyzing, learning, and understanding why about pretty much everything, I find Vanessa's brilliant contributions to be helpful every day and it's made all of my relationships better. Her book and her research has also helped me understand myself and my tendencies better. I hope you guys really enjoyed this conversation. I think that you're going to get a lot out of it and make sure that you check out her book and all the different information that she has out there because it really will make a difference in your lives too. All right, before we get into it, I just wanted to thank all of the contributors on Patreon who are supporting my work financially. And even just $4 a month makes a huge difference. So thank you so much to those of you who are doing that. I really, really appreciate it. I absolutely love podcasting. It brings me the most joy out of anything that I do. And it really is a massive time commitment as well. So it feels really good to have some support on that side. If you're interested, it's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney Show, and you can find that on my website, sonialooney.com as well. All right, let's get into the science of people with Vanessa Van Edwards. Hey, Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm such a big fan of your work, and your book has literally changed my life, so I really am excited about this. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I'm honored and I hope we can change some lives together today. Cool. Yeah. So one of my favorite things about you and your book is your vulnerability. And I love how you kind of start with, I'm a recovering awkward person because I am too.
1: (laughs) You know, it's so funny. So when I first set out to write the book, you know, I thought, okay, like I have a big publishing deal. I got to be super professional, super competent, and my opening, my introduction was really um, like heavy hitting on the science. And my publisher, like my editor is amazing. Nikki Papadopoulos wrote back and she's like, listen, Vanessa, I know you want to be professional, but you got to start off with vulnerability. She's like, what's the most vulnerable thing? you could share with a reader. And I was like, this is it. And that ends up being the opening line of the book. So I'm so glad that worked, that that helped.
0: <laughs> awesome. So there's so many different things that we could get into and people should just get the book and also check out your YouTube channel because there's so much value. But the thing that I go back to every single day is how to crack someone's personality. And I would love to just go in detail about that chapter.
1: Yeah, for sure. So one thing that always really intrigued me was being able to speed read someone because I personally, I'm have a little bit of a Pollyanna attitude. I tend to assume the best in everyone. And that doesn't always serve me, especially professionally. And so I when set out to be like, okay, is there a, a way, that, a system that we could use to decode someone's personality? And I stumbled upon um, this very advanced personality science. And there's tons of personality quizzes out there, you know, disc and Enneagram, but the only one that's really science-based is called the big five. And the big five are, the easy way to remember them is ocean. Openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and eroticism. And what's really cool about these, what I realized was I created what I call a matrix, which is basically I have like a little uh, uh, book where everyone I meet, I create a little matrix for them where I decide with them through conversation charters, are they high, low, or medium in every category? And by doing that, what happens is you begin to apply the platinum rule. So most of us were taught the golden rule growing up. The golden rule is treat others the way you want to be treated. And that's great, but it actually only gets you so far. If you really want to communicate well, you go the platinum rule. The platinum rule is to treat others the way they would want to be treated. And so what I began to do was figure out, okay, if someone is high open or they really like new experiences, they like trying new things, how can I communicate with them in a way that honors their openness? And that was a game changer with reading personality.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I mean, when you go through each one of these, and I'd love to do that. I love the example that you gave about how you gave someone instruction in an email at work, because some people need to receive information in a certain way and other people need to receive information in a different way. And coming to kind of communicate with somebody on a level where they feel comfortable is incredibly powerful.
1: Yeah, let's go through my, we can actually use that example. I love the email example as well because it's, you know, written communication. People kind of throw away their emails. You know, we don't, we don't think too much about email. It's so abundant now. It's our major mode of communication. We don't think about it, but actually it's a really good way to practice some of the people skills. So now let's go in. I love the personality traits. So the first one I mentioned is openness. Openness is if you're very high in openness, you love new things. You're very imaginative. You're very creative. You love new ideas. If you're low in openness, you love tradition and habit and routine, and you honor the the same things that keeps you, that makes you comfortable. If you're medium, you like a little bit of both. What's important about this is let's say that you're emailing a colleague. Let's take that email, or let's say that you're pitching a new client, right? You're pitching a new client, a high open person. The way that you would want to pitch them is by emphasizing and highlighting all the newness. The new patterns, the new strategies, the excitement, the adventure, that's what's going to get them going. That's what's going to spark their interest. If you are pitching someone who is low open, what you actually want to do is minimize the newness and maximize what isn't changing, but why it's going to make what existed already better. So, for example, let's say that you were saying, you know, I'm, I really would love you to try out this new business software that I'm pitching. A high-open person, you'd say, it's going to change this and change that. It's going to completely revolutionize the way you communicate. A high-open person is going to be like, yes, a low-open person, if you say, this is going to revolutionize the way you communicate, they're like, no, no, I don't want that. I like the way I communicate. So for them, what you would say is, this is going to let you communicate the way that you've always loved, but just make it a little bit better. You'll be able to have a change without even noticing the change. That's a very different way to pitch.
0: Yeah, definitely. I've taken this and I've applied it to all my family members. And if I'm trying to convince somebody to do something, I've actually employed that exact strategy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like even like with your spouse, like thinking about going out to dinner, you know, if you have a high open spouse, you want to try to emphasize the newness of a restaurant. If you have a low open spouse, but you still want to go somewhere new, you should be like, it's right near the old place. They have your favorite hamburger. I'm sure we could get everything you normally like. It's like, it's a very different way of pitching, but it's a way of honoring them, which I like. So conscientiousness. So this one's another fun one. Conscientiousness is your approach to detail. So for example, high conscientious people, this is me. We love details. We love alphabetizing and lists and organization. If you're high conscientious like me, you get a thrill from checking things off your to-do list. You will put things on your to-do list just for the beneficial sake of crossing them off. <laughs> and we love like the getting things done. We like to feel like all of our ducks in, our, are in a row. Low-conscientious people are much more flexible, much more spontaneous. They want to kind of get the big picture. They don't want to get bogged down in all those details. They want to get the big picture, go with the flow. They want to be able to get the highlights or the main points. Now, this is, I think, the one, and there's been a lot of research done on these big five in marriages and partnerships. And I believe that if you have, for example, two low-conscientious people in a marriage, they have the most financial problems. which is funny because like paying bills, all those numbers, all those details, neither one wants to do it. The problem is, is you have to be able to leverage a high conscientious person's natural strengths as well as a low conscientious person's natural strengths. If you know that you're the one in the relationship with who's high conscientious, you shouldn't even try to teach your low conscientious person details. It's just not how they're oriented they are much better at big picture, at big broad strokes of research, at big dream storms and brainstorms. I mean, that's the key to this work is not trying to force someone into a personality trait that doesn't fit them.
0: Yeah. The conscientiousness part is, has been really fun for me in my relationship because my husband is definitely more of the lower conscientious, big picture thinker, and he's still very responsible, but he'll say, I have this great idea like for your business. And, then he starts like talking about the idea and then i get completely overwhelmed because i'm already making a list like trying to figure out okay how am i actually going to execute this when am i going to start and he's like just relax like we're just talking about the big picture
1: yes yes so that's that's like a very very typical example and the good news is you can do both right you can be like okay we're in dreamstorming stage right now that means no details it's just big picture versus okay let's drill down into the weeds and this is really important if you are pitching people. So for example, in my business, we're, we do a lot of corporate trainings. And so I'm constantly sending out proposals and I tend to be very detail oriented. So I'll send out, my proposal is literally 15 pages <laughs> for a high conscientious person. That's a dream come true. It's literally a dream come true for a low contentious person. Like oftentimes the booker, someone who's booking me is the high conscientious person, but they're passing my proposal up the food chain to a manager or a C-suite exec, and they don't have time for 15 pages. They don't want 10, 15 pages and they're more big picture. So what I do is I create two different versions of my proposal in the email. I do the three main bullet points, just the three things that if they were to forward my email, that's all someone had to know. And then I say, read for more details, my proposal that way, if it gets passed up to someone who is not high conscientious, I'm still meeting them where they're at. And if they feel like they want to click through, they can, but they don't have to.
0: I know. Yeah. I've actually used that in my own proposals too. Like that was a way that another way your book helped me was I have to negotiate all my proposals for my sponsorships as a professional athlete. And Mm -hmm. I started noticing that some people really wanted that super detailed sheet or or multiple pages that I would give them and others would respond way better to just a few bullet points. But my question with that is if you are sending a proposal out and you don't know that personality type, how Mm -hmm. do you know which proposal to send them?
1: cover both bases. So this is actually most scenarios you don't know and what you can do. And also, if you think, even think that your proposal might be passed on to someone else, like let's say that you're working with a booker and you know, she or he is high conscientious just in case I like to cover both bases. So usually the way I do this, and this is the same for like resumes or, you know, pitch letters is have a, what I call a low conscientious cover letter background overview. That's just the one page in the front or the three bullets in your email. Never give a, a low content person more than three bullets. Um, they also like big, bolds and bottom lines. Like you'll notice, so for people who are on my newsletter, I write my newsletter for both and all personality types. So oftentimes I'll write like a you know 500-word newsletter with some tips, but I'll have like bottom line with like the one big idea. So that if someone's skimming or they don't want to get bogged down in the research numbers or the statistics, they can just read that. So you want to cover both with a cover letter or email and then the details and always make the details optional. And you can actually say this by saying, you know, this covers everything, but if you want to read on, here are details if you need them. What I found is if you don't make the details optional, like in a pitch or proposal, the low contentious person goes, "Ugh, I should probably read through that. I just don't feel like it now. And it sits in their inbox. And it sits in their inbox, sits in their inbox. And like a week later, you're like, have you read that yet? Have you read that yet? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get to it. If you make it optional, they're much more likely to give you the yes or a quick question than if you have it all buried in this long 15-page proposal or pitch or a resume.
0: And can people be conscientious or any of these traits somewhere like someone's high conscientious in one part of their life and low conscientious in another part of their life?
1: Yeah. Great question. So one thing that I recommend people do in the book is if they think they're different, like if their personal life is very different than their professional life, I recommend creating two different matrices for yourself. So maybe with your family, with your friends, you're very extroverted, you know, not bogged down in the details, you're medium conscientious, low neuroticism, but at work, you're very detail oriented. You're not as extroverted And you're a little bit of a warrior. So that way you have actually two um, matrices going for you. And that can also help you optimize differently based on your personal or professional life.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So I think we should talk about extroversion because I think that the definition can get confusing for people. Sometimes people think extroversion is outgoing. Sometimes people say, well, I'm actually really like shy and quiet, but then they appear to be really extroverted. So can we talk about what it actually means?
1: Oh yeah, I totally agree. Actually,
0: about social energy.
1: It's not necessarily about being outgoing or shy, or, but that can be a part of it. So, extroverts have lots of social energy. In other words, they have so much energy for making social connections, and they also get energy from their social inter- their social interactions. So, when they have some good news to share, they want to share it with people. When they have something bad happen to them, they want to commiserate with people. Their social energy is generated by more socializing. Introverts have limited social energy. So not only do they not have a lot to share, they also don't generate it from interactions. And this is really important to know because it tells you how you recharge. Extroverts can recharge by being around awesome people. That's actually how they can get even more energy. Introverts recharge with alone time and they should do so before having interaction. Now, if you're like me and most people, introvert or extrovert never quite fit you're probably an ambivert. So an ambivert is someone who is a situational extrovert or a situational introvert. And this is, I think, really fascinating research because I was never introvert or extrovert. I felt like in certain situations around certain people, I came alive. I was my best self. I was chatty and quote unquote outgoing, but around toxic people, draining people, in certain situations, I completely shut down and was drained. So what I would say for my ambiverts the most important thing for you is to make a list, two different columns. On the first column, who are the people who charge you up? What are the places where you feel like you're your best self? Those are your extrovert. They, they give you social energy, right? It causes you to be more like an extrovert. Versus, this is the second column, who are the people that drain you? What are the places that drain you? Those are the places that take social energy from you. And it's really important to know the difference so that you can begin to schedule your social calendar around things that actually serve you.
0: I love that. And I also love how you actually give people permission to put themselves in situations, whether it be personally or professionally, where they don't have to fake it till they make it using knowing their own personality. Yeah. You know, I, I never
1: liked the phrase fake it till you make it. And I think you know, as I joke, I'm a recovering awkward person, as you know, and I think that a lot of that was because growing up, no one ever taught me soft skills. And it was kind of like an afterthought, you know, people would say, Oh, you know, just smile more, or, you know, be yourself. And, you know, not to get too personal, too fast. But I think growing up, if, if you don't like yourself, and someone tells you to be yourself, that's an impossible way to feel like, you want to be social. And then if someone tells you fake it till you make it, it's basically asking someone to not be themselves. And so a lot of social skills books out there, a lot of trainings on soft skills and communication, basically tell people to pretend to be an extrovert. And I just do not think that's sustainable. And so I think that there's a better way. And it's that introverts should honor their natural strengths as introverts by not feigning to be outgoing life of the party and ambiverts need to work with the things that give them social energy as opposed to trying to pretend that certain things give them social energy. So thanks for helping me conquer it. Cause it's one of those things I really want to try to bust that approach.
0: Yeah. So I love the next one agreeableness, because this one has been the most helpful in acceptance of people in my life, like wondering why they're a certain way and then trying to change them and feeling frustrated that they're not more high agreeable. And whenever I understood what this actually meant, it helped me have more compassion for those people and and just accepting that that's just the way they are. And it's actually not about me. It's not like them not liking me when they acted a certain way. So I can't wait for you to tell people about this one. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's funny. Agreeableness, I think, is the hardest of the personality traits to get. But once you get it, it's like, oh, yeah, that it like it explains so many difficult people in your life. It explains so many miscommunications. So Let me see if I can explain it in a way that makes sense. So agreeableness is if someone defaults to yes or someone defaults to no. In other words, if someone is high agreeable, they tend to see the best in people. They'll say yes without thinking. They can go with the flow more and they tend to expect the best in people. Low agreeable people tend to be a little more skeptical. They tend to default to no. No. They like to back things up. Your, your low agreeable people are typically the, the Googlers, right? You'll say something, they'll be like, let me Google that <laughs> to check you. They tend to have a more critical eye on things, which can sometimes come out as judgment. Now, I am more of a low agreeable person. I'm medium to low agreeable. I like data. I like hard numbers. I tend to default to no. And that can be hard. It can be good and hard. Remember, every personality trait, there's no best or worst. Um, every personality trait has their strength. What we need to understand is that we need both people in our lives. People who are high agreeable are amazing team players. They're amazing collaborators. They are great cheerleaders, and they are wonderful to have around. But low agreeable people are also really important because they often get to truth. They're really good at setting up boundaries. They're really good at assigning different roles. They're really good at seeing strengths and weaknesses and being direct about them. And both have their challenges. High agreeable people can be too passive. They can allow toxic people to take advantage of them. Oftentimes, people pleasers are high agreeable, and that can be really hard. Low agreeable people can be judgmental. (laughs) They can be critical, and they can be a little hard to work with. So what's important about this is to understand, just as you said just a minute ago, that we cannot dislike someone for their orientation, because when we're talking about personality and I didn't get into this much, this is only one chapter of the book, but I wish I could have gotten in more to it, but I only had, you know, 20 pages to do it. That about 50% of our personality is genetic. The rest comes from our environment and agreeableness. If someone is coded to be uh, high agreeable, we can't get angry at them for defaulting to Yes. And so the best way to know if someone is high agreeable or not is to ask them where they want to go to lunch. Usually a high agreeable person will be like, oh, wherever you want. And a low agreeable person will usually have a really specific idea of where they want to go or they want to Google it and look and Yelp it and look at the reviews. That's usually the easiest way to tell.
0: Yeah. And something that I found interesting was there are some very, very low agreeable people in my family. And I thought that maybe they were just selfish, like, oh, you know they don't want to cater to anybody. Therefore they're selfish. But I don't think that being selfish and being low agreeable are the same thing. And it helped me differentiate the two.
1: Yes. It, it's directness. That's the difference. It's not about selfishness. It's about directness. And also high group people tend to be a little bit more empathetic. They just have, you know, a gene we'll say for trying to think about others' feelings before their decision. Low gruel people feel like, you know, if people are going to have a feeling, they'll stand up for themselves. So it's not that they're being selfish, just that they have a very different orientation for looking at the world.
0: Yeah. And then it's funny with high agreeable, like my husband's very high agreeable Mm -hmm. and I'll ask him like, Hey, do you want to go here? Or what do you want to do? And he'll give an answer, but then I'll say, are you giving that answer? Because that's what you think I want to do. And you're trying to make me happy. Or is that what you actually want to (laughs) do?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's such a wonderful catch. Cause that's exactly what happens is high agreeable people will not share their opinion, even if they have one. Because they're trying to accommodate other people, which is very sweet, but that's how you get someone who burns out. And this happens a lot in relationships where you think the relationship is going great. And then all of a sudden someone has a total blow up where their fuse goes and they're like, you never take into account what I think. You never listen to me. And the person's like, wait, what? I didn't know that you had all those opinions. And that's because the high girl person thinks, why didn't you think about me? Why didn't you think of me? Because that's how they think of other people. But that you have to high group people really have to work on speaking up for themselves because people are not always as high agreeable as them.
0: Yeah, and in terms of agreeableness in the workplace, like what's a great way to navigate both the high and the low agreeable people? And and I also want to mention that there can be medium agreeable as well. Like you're somewhere in the middle.
1: <laughs> yes, a, that's actually the most common. Yeah. In the workplace, it's really really important. And I've been burned by this before if you have a high agreeable person, remember that they might say yes, even when they really can't take something on. So this has burned me in the past where I had, I gave an example in the book. I had an intern who I hired and I kept asking her if she wanted to do a certain project. Hey, do you like doing video editing? Hey, do you like uh, doing Facebook optimization? Hey, do you like doing editing? And the answer was always, yeah. But the problem was that she was trying to be high agreeable for what she thought I wanted when I was actually looking for projects that I thought she would like. So she ended up saying yes to way too much. We got behind on all of our deadlines and she had overbooked herself for things because she was trying to be accommodating. So with high agreeable people, it's really, really important to give them permission to say no and give them time to think about their answer before they say yes. Because oftentimes you say, hey, check your calendar, check your to-do list. Do you have enough time for X project? Because otherwise, in the moment, they'll almost always say yes, even if they don't have the time or the inclination to do it.
0: I love that. And what about the low agreeable?
1: Low agreeable people is really don't take it personally. So as a low agreeable person, I think that sometimes my directness can come across as um, over-efficient overproductive, not accounting someone's feelings. And so if you have someone who is really direct or wants to fact check, you understand that it is not personal to you. It is about them, right? That is how they are wired. That's how they're oriented. And it's not personal to you. It's not, they're doubting your competency. It's not, they're doubting who you are. That's just the way they operate.
0: I love it. So with neuroticism, I think that like when people hear that word, they're like, well, I don't want to be neurotic. But I think that the word neurotic gets used in a wrong way a lot of the times is a negative thing. Yeah. So neuroticism is a bad
1: word, right? People are like, ah, I don't, you know, neurotic is used in a really negative way. And I, I'm really trying to reclaim that word. Um, we did a speech on why all the reasons why I'm high neurotic and why that's not a bad thing. So neuroticism is your relationship to worrying and high neurotics, are worriers. They typically think of every potential way something could go wrong and uh, worry about all those ways. Low neurotics typically think that worrying is a bad time investment. They don't get worried. They're much more emotionally stable and they feel like, oh, it'll all work itself out. So you know, you are a high neurotic. If people say to you, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. It'll all work out. <laughs> as a high neurotic, those phrases Literally make you want you to pull want you to pull your hair out. I mean, those are like the worst phrases. I I joke with my husband. So I'm a high neurotic. He's a low neurotic. And by the way, it's great to be in a relationship work with opposites because you actually can balance each other out. My husband, I joke with him that never in the history of calm down has calm down ever calmed anyone down. <laughs> so when he tells me to calm down, I'm like, that's not going to work. So what's really really important to know is we have to have both. Low neurotics are our rocks. They're really stable. They're fantastic to have in a crisis. They're level-headed. They can think through everything very clearly. They don't get very emotional. That's great in a crisis. High neurotics prevent crises from happening in the first place. Because they're worried, they take more precautions. They set up lots of insurance policies and they prevent bad things from happening because they are thinking ahead. And so actually the best work teams, the best couples, the best friendships have both. And you actually want to leverage people for those strengths. When I am in a planning mode and I want to think of all the worst case scenarios, I bring in my high neurotics and I'm like, okay, dream kill this puppy. What do we have to worry about? Like, what do we got to prep for? And they ask the worst questions, the hardest questions. We have all the backup plans, B, C, D, E, F. When I am in a crisis or I'm very worried, I bring in my low neurotics and I say, calm me down, calm me down, keep me stable, tell me why this is all going to be okay. And we need both.
0: Yeah. And something that I like that you said was if you're a high neurotic and if you really trust, and I guess trust would be the right word, trust your low neurotic partner or coworker or friend. You've actually said something like, well, just tell them that they'll worry about it for you. So I actually have been using that myself of, hey, Mm -hmm. like, this is what's going on. Like, should I worry or, and he'll worry about it for me. And uh, he, meaning my husband. (laughs) Yes, I think we
1: actually can export worrying and you can ask someone to worry for you. Like, for example, there was this crazy time period where. I was uh, filming a live course on people skills, and it was a four-day live filming. And I literally, I, I couldn't do it. It was live filming, and the house that we've been wanting to buy came on the market. And my husband was like, "Look, look, we got to move now. If we want this house." And like, I hadn't visited it. I hadn't done any of the inspection stuff. Nothing. And I was like, "I can't worry about this." So, could you pretend to be me, worry about all the things that could potentially go wrong, research them, and then just make the decision?
0: And he did. He did. And we ended up getting the house. So awesome. Yeah. What I love about this, this big five, like I actually did a, a bit more research and I, I read some other books about it. And some of the other books I read was more on the like, like psychological clinical issue side of things. And I love that you took this big five and you made it very much understandable and digestible and able to replicate in any scenario.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I have the choice where I broke the book up into three different types of relationships, the first five minutes, the first five hours and the first five days. And I put the personality chapter in the first five hours. And that's because I think while it's really important, it's not the only thing that's important. It's not, you know, you could go real deep in the personality signs if you want, but actually your first impression, the first five minutes, you don't really get into that deep yet. And then the real lasting relationships move past the personality traits into things that are even more deep. So yeah, I tried to make it as approachable as possible because people can get really into the weeds of that science.
0: Awesome. And I know we only have a couple of minutes left, but I'd love to go through a quick example of how to speed read a person.
1: Oh yeah, sure. This is one of my favorite things to do. And I like to start with the personality traits I understand the best. So, of the five that we just went through of the ocean, which one were you like? Yep, I get that. I've heard of that before. I can think of example for each medium, high, low that personality trait. That's the trait you want to start with. It's kind of like you know, whack a mole, whack a mole. It's like knocking out the ones that are the easiest, the ones that are easiest to hit first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Typically, typically. Conscientiousness, like your, how detailed you are or not, and extroversion are the two that most people start with. They're also the ones that are the most obvious, right? You can usually know if someone is extroverted or not when you first meet them, especially after the first few minutes. Um, and conscientiousness, you can even look at physical cues. Like there's a whole chart I have in the book of physical cues of each trait. Like, for example, high neurotics tend to have more inspirational quotes in their office. And that's. <laughs> And that's because they tend to regulate outside because they have a lot of worry inside. They tend to have emotional regulators all around their office. So you could walk into someone's office, look for inspirational quotes. It's a higher likelihood they're high neurotic. Also high conscientious people tend to have a very organized office, organized desk. Extroverts tend to have what are called social lures in their office space, or they might even wear them. These are things that draw people in. Like extroverts often have a bowl of candy on their desk. Cause they're trying to lure you into them. They might have little toys or trinkets on their desk cause they want you to come in and play. Um, that's typically not always, but typically the mark of a high extrovert. So it's beginning to look for clues for the ones that you can knock out first. That's the first thing you want to do any kind of physical clues. The second thing you do is you want to begin to ask conversation starters that search for answers. And these are actually pretty innocuous. I find that the typical questions and, you know, I'm sure as you know, I hate the typical questions. What do you do? Where are you from? How are you? They just don't get you anywhere. So I would much rather you ask questions that actually dig into the personality a little bit. Some of my favorites, asking for weekend plans, you know, Hey, what did you do last weekend? Do you have a good weekend? Hey, what are you doing this weekend? High conscientious people will literally list out for you all the things they did and they usually have a plan low-conscious people will be like, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Just that answer in itself will tell you a lot. You can also ask about vacations. You can also ask about, hey, what are you working on these days? The way that they answer is also going to clue you into their personality traits. And all those questions will get you a little closer to filling out their matrix.
0: I love that. Well, where is the best place for people to buy your book and find you and Man, like your YouTube channel is amazing. I want people to to consume all of the stuff you put out there. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Well, Captivate is wherever books are sold. And we, if you want to check out more my YouTube channel, you can also visit sciencepeople.com. We have a free audio download on praiseworthy performance that opens up into people school, which is our big flagship course on all the people skills I wish I learned in school. So I so appreciate you for pre this work and um, anything I can do to help, just let me know.
0: Awesome, thank you so much, I really appreciate it. I am in Albuquerque for the holidays, spending time with my family and I'm originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I lived there until I was about 22 years old and then I moved to Boulder, Colorado for grad school and I lived in Colorado for about eight years before moving up to Canada. It's awesome to go home for the holidays and get some sunshine because where I live in Kelowna, you can't ride outside in the winter and there's no sun. So I'm really looking forward to that desert sunshine, the crystal clear blue skies and connecting with friends and family. That's the best possible thing about the holidays is a lot of my old friends come home and we get to see each other over the years. It's also been really cool to see people who have purchased the Moxie and Grit, which is my apparel brand. Um, we came out with some winter socks, some Sexy beasts and Chubby Unicorn and some Do Epic Shit winter socks. And I love seeing the responses. The socks came out great. And I've also added some new things to the website in the last month. So I've put up t-shirts and hoodies and a hat, and there's also some stem caps. So that part on your bike, the, the stem, you can look down and then I have three different designs that are really fun and just give you a little bit of extra inspiration to push on your rides. That's M-O-X-Y-A-N-D-G-R-I-T.com, moxieandgrit.com if you wanna check that stuff out. Awesome guys, well thanks again and I hope you have a great holiday. I will be here next week, every week with a great guest for you to help bring this information where I've learned a lot, where you can learn a lot and we can all just feel better, more fulfilled and more inspired in our lives. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you back here next week.